Do you know what time it is? It's time for the Workforce Show, where you will learn the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM. Hi, this is Jeremy Haas. Hi, this is Olga Polishchuk. Yeah, and this is the Workforce Show Cyber Edition. Uh, in this in this show, what we're doing is we're talking about different careers in cyber. Uh, we're talking to in- interesting people about how they got into cyber, uh, what what kind of things they would do differently, uh, but just just really learning about their backgrounds and and what kind of advice they have for 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 those that are interested in getting into cyber or transitioning in cyber or progressing their career. Uh, if they're already in the field. And so today, fortunately, we have uh, with us Bryson Bort. Um, I'll let him introduce himself uh, in more depth, but he's currently CEO, founder of a company called Scythe, uh, also founder of a company called Grimm, involved in a number of things like the ICS Village. Uh, but I'd like to just turn it over to you, Bryson. First of all, thank you for joining us today. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's exciting to have you as a, as a guest. You're one of the First people I thought of uh, when we got this show started as as a as a potential guest, but can you just tell us do a better job than I did of of, of t- telling us what what some of the things that you're involved in, and then we'll just launch from there. Yeah, so I I founded Grim six and a half years ago, um, and then about three and a half years ago, we had a Fortune fifty come to us with a particularly intractable problem, and suddenly I realized that they had just pitched me a product, and I was like, okay, well. So that's what that looks like. Um, and then the last three years of my life have been like an episode of Silicon Valley, only I hope I'm not as bumbling and as silly as the uh, CEO on that show. Um, I helped co-found a nonprofit with uh, a good friend of mine named Tom Van Norman, and that's the ICS Village. So we do education and awareness around critical infrastructure. And we all like power and we like water. Well, we're here to help teach what that's about. Um, then... Uh, I realized I was short on policy experience, so I decided to join a ton of lawyers that had all worked at government agencies before, and that's uh, the National Security Institute, where I've been a fellow for the last two years. Um, so, so far, as you can tell, I don't think this really counts as a career so much as I continue to show up at places that haven't thrown me out yet, and I just keep picking different ones. Um, and then the, the latest gig is I'm now uh, formally an advisor to the Army Cyber Institute, which is the Army's think tank for cybersecurity in both defensive and, oper- and offensive operations. Well, where is that located? Uh, at West Point, New York. Which you have also a connection with. Yes. So I'm a graduate of West Point. I think I have several claims to fame there. Uh, everybody has, you know, that guy or that girl where in a large class, there's there's some story about them. And they're like, oh, that was you? <laughs> I was enough of a screw up that I was that story twice. And by the end, uh, I was the first brigade information systems officer, which means I was the first cadet who represented on the at the top of the leadership about computers because, you know, these newfangled computer things seem to be going somewhere and we need somebody to be paying attention to that. Very interesting. Well, I love West Point, so it's always great to hear about West Point stories. Where did your life take you after West Point? I was a tank commander. 
Um, that was probably, I would say, the, the best time of my life. This computer stuff's very complicated and nerdy. Um, tanks are very simple. Go this way, watch things blow up. Um, I missed that. Uh, and then I was a signal corps officer, so that is tactical uh, communications, satellites, radio frequency, cellular. In other words, I, I like to say that I ran around sandy grid squares that I didn't know where I was, but I made sure everybody else could talk and communicate. Which is pretty important. <laughs> yeah. So so we use we, we throw this word cyber around quite a bit, and we somewhat assume everyone knows what that means. Um, in, in your view, I mean, what, what is cyber to begin with? So let's start with the contrarian perspective. Cyber is a tax. The reason that any business or organization exists, unless they're selling it, is not to do cyber, right? My company, which I started, I want to make the world's best cookies, and I want as many people globally to appreciate these cookies. Well, that requires information technology for me to be able to scale so that my cookies can get from my tiny little shop in Des Moines to a larger factory and out to the supply chain. That's where IT comes in. Cyber is the assurance of my ability for my business to do that. So this is one of the things I like to look at and talk about when, whenever we're looking at the, the venture capital realm. Like, how big is a market? The largest budget in any organization is the budget for the organization to actually do what it's going to do. Right. Make those cookies. Sell software. Um, make me shoes, right? Whatever those things are. That's, somebody started that business for that purpose. IT is a small fraction of that that helps me achieve that easily because no modern business can scale without computers. Cybersecurity is then that third order thing that helps that IT to then deliver that business thing. And it's important to always recognize that that's the relationship. Um, because all too often, those of us in the cybersecurity field very much kind of get a little bit of a big head of like, well, why don't they listen to me? And why don't we do these things? And that's very much a, an isolated nerdy perspective. Business is there to do business. You're there to assure that that business can accomplish its goals and make money, not just for the purpose of cyber. You want me to keep going? I can keep going. <laughs> <laughs> While I was doing that, I hacked your phone. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, no, no I, 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 I completely agree. Um, you know, I've spent a long time in, in technology and we, yeah, we often lose sight of the fact that the, you know, there is a, a, a larger mission there and within this organization, uh, whether it's to make money or um, f you know, to perform some sort of task, right? It's the, it's the operational focus of the mission. And, and you know, it's, a, it's, you know, I don't use, like using the, this word, but it's a supporting activity, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you saw that when you were in the Signal Corps, um, you know, there's a, larger thrust that's going on and the signal signal core is just there to, you know, help make it all happen. Whether you're military or your business, your job is to enable that mission, that business to be accomplished. You're not combat, you're combat support. You're not the mission, you're mission support. Um, just on the, the phone joke that I made, uh, that was, that's one of my favorite stories from when I was an executive. You know how you walk into those executive meetings and everybody's already sitting around the table and They've got their phones out. You know, you just have your phone in front of you, or you might be looking at it and playing with it. And you're just waiting. You know, it's about two minutes before the meeting starts. And it took me a few times to notice this, but when I would walk in the room, 
everyone around the table would instinctively move their phone six inches closer to themselves. Like it was, it was almost like they were warding off my evil spirit as the evil spooky guy. So you've, you've worked in a lot of spaces between uh, government, commercial startups. Can you, can you just talk a little bit about some of the, what it's like in those different spaces, what you liked about, being in the government space and private sector, the, the the startup world, can you just kind of like share what you see as as commonalities, but also differences? As you know, some of our listeners might be interested in, you know, where they may want to start or end, or some of the advantages of being in one space versus another, and then and then the applicability and commonality between those spaces, if if any such exist. Sure. Um, one of the recommendations that I always make to folks starting out in this space is try to get a job in government. Do two years in government. Um, it's similar to when I was an army officer. The opportunities that you get at the edge of something are beyond anything in that pay grade you would get in the commercial world. And some of the things you're going to experience are going to be things you never see in the commercial world. Now, you may find that the overall government system doesn't work for you personally, but those two years of experience of getting to see that edge is worth it. And so that, that's, that's a, a recommendation to start. Um, the other thing I would offer is, and I think what passes for my career is a great example of this. This is not planned out. If you had asked me 20 years ago, would I be here? I would have had no idea. First of all, I didn't know rooms like this existed, so that's, that's a starting point. But you don't know what tomorrow holds, right? The reason the Soviet Union failed, for one reason, is a five-year plan doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work for people either, so don't bother. Just think, what's the best I can do where I'm now? And one of the secrets of being a great entrepreneur is not that you as an individual are amazing. It's the network of people you know that's amazing. So build those relationships and take advantage of those opportunities in any position you're in. And when you're ready, sometime in that one year, one and a half year mark, ideas will start to form and start pushing those ideas out there to your network. And that will actually facilitate additional introductions in the network growing. And then the next thing you know, that opportunity all of a sudden arise and you'll be doing something completely different. Every job I ever took, one, I don't know why they hired me because I didn't know what I was doing. And two, I really didn't know what I was doing and I learned quickly. And it was both terrifying and fun at the same time. And it's what led me to where I am now because I continue to take advantage of all these opportunities to expand into all of these places that I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know they existed. Uh, when I particularly crossed into the fun stuff about 10, 12 years ago, I didn't even know that entire area existed when I went into military and intelligence. I didn't know we did those kinds of things until somebody kind of saw some promise in me and probably made a mistake and chose to hire me. And fortunately, I learned what I was doing and I paid them back by not screwing up. But you don't know. And you certainly don't know by yourself. So the army of one is not the way to do it. Be the army of many and have them all working with you and go and just keep attacking in directions that seem interesting to you. And in 20 years later, you know, you'll have friends reach out to you to talk on a radio show. And how, how was your transition into the commercial space? Very rough. Mm -hmm. 
the first job I got out of the army. So I was I was um, injured and I was uh, discharged as a captain during the war, um, and it was kind of like a puppy mill. They just threw me at a conference, and I went interviewed with eight places that I didn't know who I was interviewing with. And the final one, the final interview, uh, in the interview, I actually told them, I don't even know what that job title means. I'm not making this up. I really told them, I don't even know the position title. I don't know what it means. Those four words together. Um, <laughs> and they were like, okay, you're hired. In hindsight, that should have told me how desperate they were. <laughs> but at the time, I was flattered because I was just like, yes, first job, because I thought it was so difficult to transition to civilian. Um, well, let me tell you, that's probably not the best way to do it. Um, and uh, to complicate matters, my boss, who actually didn't live in this country, was not a part of this hiring process. And she didn't appreciate having somebody show up who really didn't know what they were doing. Um, so there was a calamity of errors. Um, needless to say, within the first two months, I then learned what human resources was because um, we didn't really have human resources in the Army. We had an S-1 and we had administrative action and I knew what those things were. But I thought human resources sounded like a really friendly way for a boss who thinks her employee is an idiot to, you know, come to common ground and not to document firing him. I managed to recover from that, but that was where I started on my civilian transition. It's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a part of your story I wasn't familiar with. So one of the things we were talking about before the show that, that I, I think could be really, that I think you can offer an interesting perspective on. Well, first of all, there's a lot of threads we could go down and you offer a very interesting perspective. But um, you're talking about the ICS Village and, and being a uh, founder of that. You know, and those are, those are, that's typically attached to security conferences, correct? Yeah, so we, we go to different conferences all throughout the United States. Um, we're working to franchise to go international, so we're looking at several continents where we can have um, friends of ours start to stand up because part of our problem is we build real critical infrastructure, and it is cost prohibitive to ship that overseas. But if we already have equipment that's placed there, then we can start to do that. And other than our own conference, which is Next week, and I look forward to seeing you there, Jeremy. Well, what conference is that? That is Hack the Capitol. That's at the Wilson Center. Uh, we'll have members of Congress, think tanks, congressional staff, industry, military, and government um, all talking about different elements of critical infrastructure. We'll have exhibits. We'll have demos. We'll have panels. We'll have speakers. Again, look forward to seeing you there, Jeremy. <laughs> um, Olga, again, you're welcome to join us. I just don't, I can't apply the same guilt trip to you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we, we go to conferences all over. And I, honestly, I think it's the future of conferences. If you think about the average conference you've been to, it's somebody up there trying to generally present poorly, unfortunately, um, with PowerPoint, some technical concept. PowerPoint and an in-depth technical concept don't work well together. You can't follow a linear flow very well of complex topics. I almost wish they would just have a giant whiteboard and show that. That would, I think, be a better better presentation. But in the absence of the fact that conferences still work that way, the villages offer hands-on learning. Like instead of sitting there and listening to somebody do a PowerPoint, we have a community with passionate volunteers who have real exhibits and you get to come and play. I mean, where else can you walk up and hack a power plant? Well, you can do that with us. And the point is not, oh, look, I can hack a power plant. It's more about educating on how 
power management, power distribution, transmission works, and what are industrial control systems. Most folks have never seen a PLC. Maybe some smart folks know that a PLC is what was hacked in the famous attack called Stuxnet back in the aughts, but they've never seen one in person. Well, here's an opportunity not only to see it, to understand how it works and understand how it works in a system and understand how industrial control systems are different than traditional information technology, but still a part of your life. I mean, at the end of the day, modern civilization rests on water and light, electricity. And those critical infrastructure provide that to you. So so what? which conferences, and I don't want to assume that our listeners know, uh, do do you tend to um, attend? Do you recommend um, that the ICS Village or other villages, you know, maybe present at to get these hands-on experiences with? So I, I'd start with the. There are lots of community conferences. It can be intimidating um, to get work to approve sometimes. Um, why would I send you to Montreal for recon? I don't. Like that's expensive and I'm not, it's hard to justify the benefit when there are a lot of local based conferences in almost any city that you can take advantage of. And that's one of the things that somebody like Jack Daniels did with, with B-Sides is he wanted a community based, Hey, you can locally pull these together and you can have your own conference. Um, so just in this area, B-Sides has Washington, DC, just the other weekend was charm in Baltimore. Uh, there's also Nova, uh, which uh, was based out of Alexandria. Um, there are there's Nova Hackers um, that do, do a lot of local events. There's CapSec DC that does some also local events. Um, and the reason I recommend that is it really ties you into the local community because it's not so much about, hey, I went somewhere and I got two days of fantastic understanding and I'm good forever. Again, going back to those relationships, those conferences, particularly the local ones, are your opportunity to meet and interact with the local community. And the next step to that is I recommend folks then submit to speak. And that sounds really intimidating, right? If you're a 23, 25 year old going, why would, why would anyone listen to me? Well, I'm 41, I speak all over the world. I still feel that way at any talk I give, even ones that I'm invited to. Why do they wanna listen to me? Because anything I say feels so obvious. Why, why am I going to tell it? But it's kind of the same thing that the best way to learn is to teach. It's the same thing with speaking. And you really establish those relationships. And I, I again, encourage, that's what the community level is about. Like, you're going to go out and maybe you don't do great your first time. But that's a great place to learn, get honest feedback, and to grow. And then you can start to come up to what I like to think of as like the national stage. And obviously, I mean, the most famous one for cybersecurity is DEF CON which is annually in Las Vegas, run by Jeff Moss. DEF CON is the premier 30-some thousand hackers going across all disciplines from very technical things like reverse engineering and exploitation to some of the soft side, like open systems intelligence and social engineering. And it's also where the World Series of Hacking is. So seeing teams compete at the final level of the game of, you know, for how they do capture the flag, which is a form of uh, gamifying some kind of cybersecurity. Um, that's, that's, so that's what I would consider sort of the, the national stage. And then there's, there's lots of things in between. What about certifications and kind of um, some suggestions for somebody who's starting in their career right now? 
Sure. Cert- certifications are tough. And there's a lot of debate in the community about the value of certification, right? You get the traditional white guy like me who would be like, ah, you don't need certification. And then you have women and minorities who are going, well, actually, I need those cert- certificates because that's what it takes for me to be able to get the interview to get hired. And so what I would say is certificates are a good place to start, right? When you're young, regardless of where you are, it'll give you a vocabulary. It gives you something to put on your resume. But understand that any employer, regardless of how many certificates you have or don't, they're looking for production. Certificates will get you in the door, but it's your passion and it's your contribution that's going to keep you going and help you rise. Again, let's uh, just taking a step back and and talking about um, like things that you specifically see in your current role. So, for instance, at Scythe, do you have interns that you hire? Do you work with you know college students, not college students? What do you look for in you know you know um, early career individuals in terms of skill sets? Um, traits. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with kind of not scythe at Grimm. We created a program called hacks. Um, that is like, it's a, the boy scout model for engaging colleges. So everyone complains, students coming out of universities don't have operational skills. Well, the academic part is hidebound. So you can't really do much with that. But the folks who have participate in cybersecurity clubs, there's no rules to that. So you can be very open-ended with that. And what we did is um, we engaged, and I think we have 10 colleges. Um, There's several in the area. Some of the military academies are involved, all the way to places like Berkeley out in California are involved with us. And what we do is we help the students build out um, learning modules and then um, competitions to validate your understanding and scoring. So you actually compete on those modules. So it's kind of the Again, teaching helps learning peace. But I call it the Boy Scout model because we don't do it for them. We're just the safety rails there to help them do it as best as they can, but they're the ones who do it. Um, at Scythe, uh, we just closed our seed round in September last year. Um, I joke we're like the federal government and that everybody knows my budget because it's exactly what we, we earned and we're just now starting to pull in revenue. Um, unlike the, re- the federal government, it's not a large budget though. Um, so we're not yet at the point that we're we're extensively building out an internship program. Uh, I think by next summer, that's something that will, everything going successfully, that's what we'll be doing. Um, we do have a couple of students that we had built up a relationship with Grimm, who does have a very active college engagement program that we brought over to the Scythe side. So we kind of drafted off that, which made us very fortunate to be able to do that at our size, because um, we're, we're 16 employees. And that's not the that's not a very extensive program to be able to effectively work with an intern. Well, I, I mean, if if you were, I mean, would you? I mean, given what you know now, would you get into? I mean, you're talking about five year plans and not having them, but would you get into cyber again, knowing what you know now? And is there anything you would have done differently? Uh, so this is where I get philosophical in that you can't have any regrets about the past because every step, whether it was a positive one or a mistake has led you to be the sum of the parts of who you are today. Um, Probably not appropriate for cybersecurity workforce edition, but my own personal philosophy of continuing to just do what I do and keep going. Um, I don't know what I would have changed, but 
something that I could have probably made. So two and a half years ago, I met Ron Gula. If you don't know Ron, Ron is the awesome entrepreneur who, you know, helped found Tenable, which IPO'd last year. And he has used his wealth to reinvest into building out the cybersecurity community here in the DMV because he believes in it as much as that I, I do. And I met him about two and a half years ago at a Maryland dinner where it was me and, I don't know, 15 other CEOs. Most of them were small, mid-sized government contractors. And they were complaining to him about the government does not support us innovating. And I couldn't contain myself. I excoriated the entire group and said, you can't look to the government to give you money to innovate. You have the passion to follow an idea and that's how you innovate. And it's up to you. You build something the government can't go without. And that's how you get the government into it. And Ron just sort of was like, who's that guy? <laughs> he came up to me afterwards and he, I told him what I was doing with Scythe, um, which at the time was an incubated idea, still in Grimm. And he's like, that's very interesting. Uh, we should follow up on it. And I didn't. Um, I thought that it didn't seem to be a match. And I did not really give this awesome guy an opportunity to do that. Um, and so a year later, he finally tracked me down. And that was the smartest thing I ever did was finally getting into business with Ron. Well, um, unfortunately, we're out of town. I'd love to hear more about that story and how it all came about. But um, really appreciate you joining us today. Hope to have you back. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to The Workforce Show. This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at CareerCentralOnline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time.